0: Good morning. This is David Held, and you're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. It is 8.05 a.m. It's a little cloudy outside, but it's not raining at the moment down here in Canton, Ohio. We've got uh, the latest football scores, high school football scores for you. Uh, And uh, it was a really exciting night last night. We had Hoover was over Glen Oak, 35 to 7. McKinley, 30 over Jackson. 30-0 Thirty nothing, McKinley and Jackson. The Lake and Perry game. Perry prevailed twenty-one to three over Lake. Central Catholic, New Philadelphia. New Philadelphia forty. Central Catholic seven. Then we had uh, Massillon lost a really close game to St. Ed's, twenty-three to twenty-four. Alliance. One point short from Marlington. Marlington won seven to six.
1: Well, that's actually in the third quarter. They're going to uh, resume that game today. Some of the games got um, shut down last night due to weather and, and due to different things. So in the case of Marlington and Alliance, that was our uh, WHBCsports.com stream game last night. So uh, that will resume, I believe, today at about noon. Either either ten either ten AM or noon. I can't remember I know that it's going to resume at some point this morning. So uh I guess those that were lucky enough to get the voucher to go last night will have the opportunity to do that. I, I'm pretty sure there were a few other ones. I know that Northwest and, and Orville was like that too, with Northwest up in the first quarter, but you know, weather last night was just a it was an, an unbelievable scene at so many of these places. Rain was just pelting. The it was it
0: just it was there was heavy rain last.
1: It was it was.
0: I, now, now how about the so at the game that you were at, John? What it was they just kept motoring through it right until...
1: Well, they they did they um. <laughs> at one point they 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 called the delay. Um, we we sat through it before the game. Uh, we kicked off late, and then when everything finally was was said and done, we we didn't get kicked off probably until about eight o'clock. Which was an hour later um first half went with went with pretty much no issues, but then uh we got to the second half and and very quickly um you know we we were in a a delay again before we even got there um so our game didn't finish until close to eleven, so it was you know it was 11 a eleven o'clock it was a late night you know late night and long night and when you when you have so much stopping and starting like that, it's hard. It's hard not just for the kids to get into a flow. It's hard for even us as broadcasters mm-hmm. to get into a flow because it's like you're used to having a a certain pace to You get to momentum. The game. There's a yeah.
0: pace and a momentum into the game. Now, how about when the when they had the downpour? Would everybody just standing there on the s- sidelines, or did they go back to locker rooms? Or
1: No, they – I mean, when when it was just a downpour, and as long as there's no lightning and thunder, you can keep playing. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, it was uh, – I mean there was a, a point I will say where I, I, I've never seen a downpour at a football game that hard. I mean there was a point where it was coming down so hard that you could barely, you know, see across the field. I mean it was that bad. I know that I was talking to to our, our stream crew last night, you know, Frank Salona, Derek Philo and and uh George Bozica, my father who who's there and he said that they had a hard time Actually, seen outside of their window down to the field to see the players when it was coming down so hard. So you know, I mean, just the the, eye, <laughs> the so conditions. So there was no,
0: there was no, you know, the, no lightning last night. It's just a downpour. Well, there was
1: lightning at a handful of times, and and that's where the delay starts. Then, okay. So, but yeah, the but
0: prior to the lightning, it it's coming down, coming down hard, and they just kept playing.
1: Yeah, no, they did well, and and like I said, I mean, some of these games will be um, started up again today. Um, I know that that for sure, the two that are that are very close that will start up again today are um, Marlington and Alliance, and then also uh, Northwest and, and Orville. I don't know about some of the other games; I have not heard official words on those. A um, couple other final scores, by yes. the way: uh, Minerva falls to. Charlton twenty eight nothing. Fairless defeated CBCA, forty two to twenty six. Um, Sandy Valley was up huge at halftime in their game over Strasburg forty five to uh, six. It was Garraway twenty one and East Canton nothing. That's um, per about the second quarter last we heard. So there's there's some again there's some uncertainty as to where these games will will end where they'll finish. You know I mean I'm guessing if some of them are blowouts enough they might not. You know, they might right. not send the kids back out there. I don't know. I, I mean, again, because of COVID, I don't know how much of that you want to do, how much of that you don't want to do. So, um, have you have you ever
0: been to a game where they've you know delayed it, brought them back, you know, the next day?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've never covered a game where it's been delayed and then I've gone back the next day. But when I was. Um in high school, actually, uh, I went to a game with friends one time that um it was supposed to finish um uh, obviously that night, and then they called it and the next day they went out and they finished it by the way, Marlington Alliance will start at ten a m this morning so if people are are out in that area and want to give an update as they're there um we we'll Take so they're call. gonna
0: have a fourth quarter of play for Marlington and Alliance. The yeah, I think it's
1: was... the end of the third and then the fourth.
0: Oh, so they're gonna they'll start it right where the game
1: yep. delayed and, Whatever the time it. was, they marked it down and kept track of everything and they'll just pick it right back up wherever it was.
0: Unbelievable. What was it like at the um uh, at the game? So, you know, we've got all these games going on and there's just not many people in the stands. Did it change the the environment?
1: yes and no i mean it it still it still obviously felt like you were at you know a a high school event and the the (laughs) the band being there helped that you know because you still had the noise from that um i think the weirdest thing was just because the weather last night was so spotty i think that's what caused people to again be um maybe at a I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some people didn't go because of the weather. I mean, there were still a good amount of people there for even, you know, COVID restrictions and everything, and people were socially distancing and wearing masks and, you know, doing everything they were supposed to. So, um, no, I mean, I think the weirdest thing was just some of the new things that that are being done in gameplay, like the official doesn't touch the ball after the play anymore. They set a beanbag down wherever the play ended and then the center sets the ball there um that was a little strange and then um on the sideline everyone is just so spread out i mean at mckinley the interesting thing was they had little you know pads on the sideline where kids should stand to keep them six feet apart so it's like kids were always there and every once in a while they would take like a two second break to walk around a little bit but um, You know, just little things like that, you know, little little changes in gameplay, little changes in in things to try to make the game safer with COVID going on. And um, ultimately, I, I was impressed with with what I saw. I mean, you know, teams have really adjusted. They've changed their their philosophy. When the kids were done, they immediately had a mask in their hand to cover their face when they were doing the post-game stuff. So, you know, these, these schools have been working for this, and they're ready for it.
0: And, yeah, it's a, you know, when you're out there playing in the field then, and then, you know, you're breathing hard, and, and now you got to slip a mask on. I mean, it's not, not always the easiest thing to do, but these football players and the coaches, they're disciplined, they're organized. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole nature of, of football. It is. It is, is, is uh, you know, just getting into it and making sure that you're doing things right.
1: Well, and and, and you hope that, you know, I mean, we're obviously through one week for the most part. I mean, some games are going to finish today and some games are are actually going to be played today at a whole. I mean, there's a a handful of games that are scheduled for today, Um, maybe not in this county, but out of the county. You just hope that through everything that teams are able to follow the guidelines still. You hope that that no COVID cases break out. I mean, I, I think now it's. Now it's kind of an interesting point because I think we're at a wait-and-see game now. You know, it, it, how many kids on your team end up, you know, with a sniffle on Monday? You know, is it because they were <laughs> – is it because they they might have COVID or is it because they just spent, you know, three hours out in the rain last night? You know, I mean, what's the – I guess what's the logic behind that? So – um you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it is a wait and see week by week mode, and I think we're we're lucky, we're blessed to get one week in, and um, now we, as I said, we wait and see, and we hope that week two of our Star Show and Ford Radio Game of the Week happens, our Alt Care TV game, and our uh, stream game happens. But it was it was good to have football back last night. Well,
0: you know, it's interesting when you talk about how the schools are going to handle the COVID, uh, because being the first week. Uh, as a matter of fact, I you know, I talked to a number of teachers, talked to one of our local doctors, and they were saying that they saw a number of kids that uh that that came in um for reasons that were, you know, let's say they had a headache, and so the school was on the more cautionary side and asked the, the parents to pick the child up. I know there was some frustration, you know, as far as parents are concerned, thinking, you know, my child's not sick what are we what are we you know what are we got to pick him up for um but i think it's just you know it's the first week people are getting accustomed to you know getting back together but one of our local doctors said that really when you you know you look at the the covid it's obviously a very low risk with the with the students and the children which is a very good thing and and but she was saying that really after it takes usually about 3 weeks when the kids get together just for any other, you know, uh, germs or colds or viruses to, you know, take root, and uh, and so we'll probably have a better idea uh, as far as, uh, you know, how the schools are handling things after the first three weeks.
1: Well, and and I, I think the other thing to keep in mind too is that you know everyone is learning this process at this point. No one is. No one is perfect at this point. I I I talked to the Minerva head football coach yesterday, and I I said, you know, how do you make sure that you're you're well versed within the COVID world to to know what to do? And he said, well, I wouldn't consider myself to be well versed or an expert in any way. You know, I mean, I think everyone is is learning still. You know, and 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 I think that we we talked about this on our TV broadcast last night. Elmer Sheets and I did my my color commentator. We said that you know it was it was interesting talking to coaches during the week because all of them said that ultimately X's and O's are important, but what's more important. And David, I think you've talked about this before is the chance to be with friends, the chance to get physical activity, Mm -hmm. the chance to get out from behind screens, the chance to, to not be cooped up and have that constant feeling. And whether it's that you're on the football team or whether it's in your, you're in the band or you're a cheerleader or hopefully one day, if you're you're you know a, a a kid who's in theater or choir, you get that opportunity. Um, I think that's the bigger thing is giving kids a chance to have their extracurricular activity again.
0: Yeah, the, you know, there's always uh, there's intended consequences, which is we want to make sure that the students, the the teachers, that they're safe. But then there's always the unintended consequences. And that's the social aspect. You know, we are social creatures, and, uh, and, we, and we need that. It's, it's important. We're going to take a break now. It's 8-18, and we'll uh, recap the Friday night football scores for you, and we'll be back soon. Good morning, this is David Held, and you are listening to the Saturday Morning Show. I'm here with John Bezica. We're recapping the football scores from last night. Uh, We had some really exciting games, and we had a lot of delays due to the weather. There was a heavy downpour that caused some of the games, like out there, uh, the uh, Marlington game. They had to end the game in the third quarter, and they're going to restart it again this morning. At what time is that? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. this morning. So it was seven to six, Marlington over Alliance in the third quarter. But they're going to start start the game back up at 10 a.m. this morning.
1: We also I also heard it was a really good game too, from what I from what I was told that that it was it was shaping up to be a really good game,
0: exciting game. Well, it's close?
1: Yeah. So we'll... first
0: three quarters close game, and then Maslin, ah, uh, heartbreaking heartbreaking game, lost by one point to St. Eds.
1: Yeah, trick play at the end by. St. Ed's was the difference. They they threw a, a double pass at the end of the game uh, with about four minutes left, and, and we'll try to play that highlight for um, people here later on this morning with our radio crew, but um, just a, a case of that Maslin built a lead and they, they couldn't hold on to it, and uh, now they have to, to regroup and go back into week two and um, hope that they figure it out.
0: And both teams really are, are projected to be one of the uh, best teams in the state.
1: Yeah. This year. Yeah. Well and, and that's the thing is that you you know, you, you hope to play uh nothing but the best, and that's truly a case of of what Maslin is is trying to do. They they're trying to beef up their schedule a bit this year and uh they obviously have the opportunity to do that with um you know, with what's going on and, and everything like that.
0: Now, we had Hoover had a big win over Glen Oak, thirty five to seven. Uh that was that was a game that was not delayed. They they motored right through that. So you had some of the games last night that they were able to complete and then you had a few that had to had to stop due to the weather, but I think a lot of that had to do like you said John with the lightning if there was mm-hmm. a presence of lightning, then they're required to stop the game. If it's a heavy downpour and it was a heavy downpour last night, they just kept playing.
1: Yeah, you do. And and you know, you you did have as I said I think everyone was delayed at one point or other last night. I, I just think the key is that some teams um decided because I know like this, I mean I went to bed last night at gosh, I went to bed way too late to, to be here this morning, but um I went late to, night. Late night. I went to bed at, at, you know, probably I'm thinking like about one mm-hmm. and you know, and, and I know that when I went to bed, Fairless was just finishing up their game. Because, you know, or, or they, they just, were just
0: just finishing up
1: or they had just finished it like around midnight because they they did not want to go into the next day. They did not want to wait to finish the game the next day. They were up pretty big. They ended up winning and wow. and they did not feel the need to, to go into the next day and wait to see, um, you know, everything that was happening. I think they felt that they would better serve themselves by. Right, simply completing the game, finishing. Yeah,
0: but, you know it takes a lot too to mobilize the band.
1: The oh, players, bring everything back the next day. Bring everything
0: back the next day. It's that's tough. I mean, it's tough. There's a lot of logistics in in bringing all those students and uh, you know the parents, the fans together. So you could see that there was a few games that were delayed, and those games that uh, had a delay: Marlington and Alliance. We also had uh, Northwest and the Orville Red Raiders. It was, that was that ended in the, after the first quarter. So they must have had some really rough weather out there.
1: Yeah, and they're they're gonna finish that game today. I I did receive a text last night from their AD. Um, let's see here, East We're
0: Canton to, and Garraway, second quarter.
1: Yeah, they will resume today. Northwest and and Orville will resume today at noon. So that game will resume at noon with. Northwest up seven to nothing. So we'll see um how that goes. Obviously weather I think today is supposed to be a lot clearer and we're not supposed to have quite as much rain if we do get that. I don't think it's raining out there right now, but it's cloudy. Um, it's
0: cloudy outside. It's muggy. <laughs> muggy, humid, but it's not it's not downpouring like it was yesterday. All right, we're gonna take a break. It's uh coming up close to eight thirty this morning. And you're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC, and this is David Held here with John Bezica. Good morning, good morning, the Saturday morning breakfast club here on News Talk 1480 WHBC. It's a little cloudy out this morning here at 834 a.m., but it doesn't look like we're going to have as much rain in the forecast as we had last night. Had a lot of high school football games last night. Uh, Exciting games, but a lot of rain. Some of the games didn't end until after 11 o'clock last night. A few of the games were not able to be completed, but they'll be continued. They'll be continued later today. And uh, on the show this morning, uh, we we have a really interesting program in that I was talking with Mayor Kathy Perry, and she had told me about uh, a mom who... uh, Unsadly, had become a heroin addict, and uh, her journey through recovery. And now she has a company, and she's making cakes, incredible cakes. And uh, her process, as far as recovery, there there was one person that was very, very instrumental in in actually uh, saving her life, and that was Judge Forchione. Uh, through his program, had forced her into rehabilitation, and uh, forced her actually against her will. At the time she said when she was an addict, she had no desire to go into the rehab program. And it was a rough, rough road. But the great news is that it's been six years she's recovered and she has a very successful cake making business and she had sent a a, a cake here recently to judge forshion and and uh so they've they've actually uh they've got a great relationship now and so if you have family members out there or friends or loved ones that have uh, struggled with addiction it is a painful, painful experience. And going through that period of recovery is just a tough thing. Um, 90% of the people that uh, become addicted, whether it's to the opiates or heroin, it's it's a rough road. But the good news is, is that there is hope and there is the ability to overcome it. And we're going to have Sarah, who just, again, great person, and she was able to turn things around, but it wasn't without the support of other people. And that support came through a number of different avenues. And I'll tell you, when you go through a situation like that, um, she'll explain how when you become an addict, it, it takes over your mind. I mean, we all have uh, different addictions, right? You, caffeine, food, but the difference between food and and uh, caffeine compared to like the opiates or the heroin is that it, it really takes over your mind. It takes over your mind and, and it really makes you, uh, just turns you into a different person. And uh, so today we're going to be talking with a soccer mom, who became a heroin addict and her journey through recovery. And she's made a big difference in the lives of a lot of people. And one of those individuals that really played an instrumental role, actually two people who've played an instrumental role in her recovery, is Mayor Kathy Perry from Massillon and uh, Judge Frank Forcioni. And they're both gonna be on the program here this morning to talk about that uh at the nine o'clock hour and so it's gonna be uh it'll be really interesting but last night we had the uh football games, and that was a little bit different too because a lot of changes We didn't have the stadiums filled up still had the band out there, so that gave the feeling of high school football and uh and then on top of that. You have some covid rules where when they go to place the football, the uh, referees are setting down a bean bag right to mark the football, and then the center has to go place the ball
1: yeah, so let's hear it. you know what? <laughs> Give me a second here, and I will go through the new rules oh, let's hear them for you just to was
0: it was it confusing last night? do you think when
1: no, 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 I, I didn't think so. So here is um, the set of rules. This is from the OHSA. Um, up to 60 players may dress, uh, which is a little bit different, because in the past you could have probably an extended number from that. Uh, the team box on the sideline has been extended from 10-yard line to the opposite 10-yard line so that coaches and players at all times can adhere to social distancing. Um, all coaches, players, medical staff, game workers, media, and spectators must wear facial coverings at all times other than the 22 players on the field. Um, the OHSA recommends that half times be shortened to 15 minutes, or uh, 10 minutes, I mean, um, and that team members be kept kind of socially distant outside of the locker rooms. Uh, timeouts may be extended to uh, two minutes in length. Uh, officials, as we said, have limited time touching the ball. Each player should have their own water bottle, if possible. Um, players and coaches from the visiting team should not use a locker room. Uh, therefore, they should arrive already fully and or, or at least partially dressed um, in their game uniform. And then pregame handshakes with captains and officials and postgame handshakes are not permitted.
0: No shaking hands after a football game.
1: Yep, a little bit different rule there.
0: Wow. Uh, well, the good news is, is that we're playing. I mean, we got the games. We're playing. You know, but think about this. Look at look at the college games. We've mm-hmm. got we've got high school. We have got the high school teams playing high school football. Uh, but the colleges, Ohio State, they're not playing right now.
1: It's true, I mean some of them uh will be some of them will be playing uh some of the conferences but obviously the the big ten is not one of those conferences that that will be playing um at any point this year or at least for what we see right now uh we don't know um about what's to come for for obviously next year but right now it's uh it looks the way it looks, and, and you know it's it's inter-
0: It's interesting though how you have the colleges, uh, some of the colleges, and and really there's the money that is that is being lost uh, in those games, uh, and and what's at stake for the for the college games is is really high, and uh, yet yeah, we've got you know our our local high school football teams uh, moving right along, which I think is great. I think it's it's really good. We're doing it, you know, they're taking the precautions they're handling it right but you no know, what a what a contrast with the approach that the colleges are taking and and I and and you and I've talked about this John in, in the past where it's like uh you know that's one of the things that gets real confusing about this whole uh covid is the is the contradictions in how things are being managed and how things are being you know how we're approaching things And, uh, you know, we learn as we go along. But at the same time, we've got to, you know, we've got to continue to function.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think that, you know, we had kind of discussed this, that at least I have on my show a lot, and I don't know if I've said it to you, but my feeling about this whole thing has been that, you know, we we haven't yet, because people keep saying, oh, you know, this is our new normal. This is our new normal. Well, I don't think we've... I don't think we've officially discovered our new normal yet. I think we're I think we're on the cusp of figuring out what it could be. And I think as as each day goes by, I think we're getting closer and closer to that point to where we have an answer as to what the new normal could be and and who knows. I mean, maybe it is what we're living in right now, but I think the new normal is when we go week to week not worrying about if people are going to contract as much COVID going week to week and figuring out exactly how we can contact trace quickly how we can have tests that come back in you know an instant you know that's when the new normal is going to come is when we have instantaneous stuff to be able to figure this out because right now there's still a lot of unknowns and because of that we aren't quite at the new normal we're we're closer but we're not quite there yet and I, i i hope that we get there sooner rather than later yeah as far
0: as far as what's uh, you know the 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 new normal with the covid it's it's really been uh yeah the, the world's turned upside down but you know the good thing is is that people are getting back to school or get we're we're playing high school football games and you know what's important is that you just have to adapt improvise and you overcome because one of the you know we just cannot have especially our high school students uh they've got to be interacting uh you know we are social creatures and uh and, and we and we certainly can't live in a cave you know you just you have to be able to get out and you've got to be able to interact with people and um but you can do it you know with wisdom and temperance and and uh and a level of understanding that keeps everybody uh, safe and keeps them out of out of harm's way. Today we're going to have um, after the nine o'clock hour. We're going to have a uh, Judge Frank Forcioni who has started the program. The uh, he's really taken on and made a huge difference over the past number of years with the opioid crisis, and made it a lot easier for addicts to get into rehabilitation and recovery. And, um, and really, it's been, it's been a, an effort that has been supported by a lot of the municipalities and the judges and the uh, police, uh, fire, EMS. It's really been a coordinated effort because the opioids were really just bringing a lot of devastation to the lives of so many people. And uh, there's success There's a lot of success that, uh, that we're seeing out there And one of the success stories is going to be uh, We're going to talk about that today Her name is Sarah And uh, she was a soccer mom And she became an addict uh, With the opioids And at one point heroin And just a really, really uh, rough period uh, for, for a number of years and she was able to turn it around, but she really gives, uh, the credit to, uh, judge Frank who forced her into rehab and it was not an easy process. Um, not an easy process for her, but there's success now. And we're going to be talking about that, uh, just after nine o'clock. So we're going to take a break. We will be back. You're listening to David Held with John Bezika, News Talk 1480 WHBC. Good morning. Good morning. This is David Held. It's 849. It's a little cloudy out there this morning, but it doesn't look like we're going to have as much rain today as we did last night. Last night was a downpour. There was a lot of flooding. I mean, if you were outside at all, uh, you could see that rain was just coming down. Uh, I remember trying to drive through it last night on I-77. I mean, it almost uh, brought traffic to a uh, standstill. The rain was so heavy. And then you think about the football games that were being played last night. Uh, we had a number of games that they com- they were able to complete, but we had a few that uh, that had to be put on hold. Um we had some exciting games and we had uh, some heartbreaking games there. We had Maslin that lost to St. Edwards uh, just in the final minutes, a really close game, twenty-three to twenty-four. And we had Hoover; uh, they were over Glen Oak, thirty-five to seven. McKinley uh, had a really strong game, thirty to nothing over Jackson, and uh, Perry was uh, Perry is over lake 21 to 3 central catholic they came up short over with new philadelphia 40 to 7 um so it was an exciting exciting night last night some of the games just couldn't be completed and uh and that was just due to some of the lightning the heavy downpour the rain uh but they're going to finish up those games this morning And you're going to have uh, Marlington. It was seven to six in the third quarter. They're going to be finishing up their game this morning again at 10 AM. And when you think about it, when you end a game like that, the logistics of getting the uniforms, the athletes, the band members, uh, it's like having two games in a row. Uh, the buses, there's a lot that goes into it. So the good news is that a lot of the games were able to be completed. And then, uh, you had some that they just had to come back because, you know, the weather was just, uh, it was too rough. And and when you have lightning and thunder, they've got to end the game uh, or certainly delay it. So in, in some cases, they're they're going to finish up those games here this morning. And uh, we've got some really good guests coming on the show here just after 9 a.m. We're going to open it up with Mayor Kathy Catanzaro-Perry mayor of Maslin and uh what's interesting is in a recent conversation that I had with uh mayor Kathy she was telling me about uh Sarah who is a uh mom that uh has a cake decorating business and incredible cakes she sent me a, a picture of uh this just a, an amazing uh a cake that she had made and it was a gift for Judge Frank Forchione. And uh, Sarah had made this cake for the judge because uh, they had a rough relationship, which began in his courtroom when she was struggling with her addiction and with crime. And. Simultaneously, she was pregnant, and uh, Judge Frank Forchion just he told her, "You're going to go into rehab. You have a responsibility to take care of not only yourself but your baby." And uh, that started uh, Sarah on the path to recovery. It was not an easy path but it was one that she was able to go through and she was able to overcome. And it's been six years now and, uh, she's got her life back. So you have people out there that are struggling with addiction, you may be listening now and struggling with that. And you can change your life, but it's about making that decision. It's about making that decision, and when we talk to Sarah, she'll be coming on at uh, 10 o'clock, but just before that, we're going to be talking with Mayor Kathy Catizzaro-Perry from Maslin, and also Judge Frank Forchione, who, you know, they both were very instrumental in turning Sarah's life around, and uh, I had a chance to speak with Sarah yesterday, And she said, really, what it came down to is knowing that in spite of her behavior, in spite of her lying and cheating uh, due to the addiction, that what it came down to was knowing that uh, people still loved her and accepted her. And that was what brought her through a nightmare, just a complete nightmare, not only for her, but also for, uh, her husband, her family members, her children, uh, but you can't get through it. And she is, she's a a shining example of how you can overcome this and you can thrive. You can thrive, and it's really just uh, making sure that you get equipped and prepared with the proper tools and techniques. Uh, She said that it is really addressing the mental, the physical, and the spiritual aspect that were all very, very important to her recovery. So we will have, uh, at the beginning of the hour, just after 9 o'clock, we're going to have Mayor. Kathy Catizzaro-Perry from Massillon, who actually introduced me to Sarah and her great success story in overcoming addiction from being a soccer mom to a heroin addict and her path to recovery. And then uh, we're going to also talk to Judge Frank Forchione, his program, where he's working with. The local police departments working with the local fire and EMS departments, uh, working with all the addiction and recovery organizations and the counselors to make sure that when somebody is ready to turn their life around, that they have the resources available. Because in previous years, you know, you can you can just imagine when uh, you know the recovery services just. You know, we, they were not in a position where they could respond uh, in the manner that, you know, you, for example, you'd have somebody that is a drug addict and, and they're, they made a decision to uh, go into rehab, but then they were told it would take four weeks. Or they'd be able to see a doctor after, you know, a, a two-week period. That makes it tough. It makes it really tough. So now you've got a program that Judge Forchione has headed up, and he's working with all the local agencies, our police, fire, EMS, all the personnel to bring a lot of success to a lot of people, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the uh, coming hour here for the show. We're going to take a break, so stay with us. You're listening to News Talk 1480. Good morning. It's now 9.05 this morning. It's a little bit cloudy, but we do not have the rain like we did last night. Last night was a downpour, and uh, most of the football games we made it through, but some of them still have to be completed uh, this morning. And uh, on the line right now, we have with us Mayor Kathy Catazaro-Perry, Mayor of Massillon. Kathy, how are you? Good morning, how are you I'm doing great thank you for coming on the program well thank you for inviting me we've been uh we've been friends for a long time It's been what like fourteen fourteen years now and it started back when your daughter Vanessa was first born and my daughter Carly was first born both in the same month right and uh, uh, uh yes and and and
2: the w- reason that we met was because I had Vanessa's pictures taken uh, up at Babies R Us, and they handed me um, your daughter's pictures, and (laughs) that's
0: how it all
2: started.
0: Oh, that's right. Because yeah, they both both of our daughters have Down syndrome, you know. And I just you just said that, and I just realized that. Um, Or maybe I was told that. Maybe my wife told me. But uh, now that that is interesting. Because I I remember at the time you were serving as a councilman, council person, council lady yeah. in Maselen, and um, and 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 that's how things got started. Isn't that interesting? It was fourteen years ago. Uh, it,
2: ha, if it hadn't been for uh, Babies R Us and the in the photography studio that was there, I don't know if we would ever have met. But that was. That was really odd, because they handed me your daughter's baby pictures. Oh
0: my gosh! well, you have those you have those divine appointments, and I think also you know when you speak of those uh, d- divine appointments, uh, we had one here recently, and uh, you were telling me about a great success story uh, with Sarah, uh, who has a cake decorating business now right in Maslin, right and yes. She got started, and it was a rough road for her. Uh, She was a soccer mom and uh, became a heroin addict, and but now she's been cleaned for six years, and she speaks very highly of you, and uh, she said, "Well,
2: I I love her. She is she is an amazing young lady, and very proud of all that she has accomplished."
0: Well, she said the first time that she actually spoke publicly about which was really tough for her to do was on the television program that you had her on. And, uh, and that's when she really started to get uh, open about, about her, her pathway to recovery. She said she was really nervous about doing it, but, but, but in your conversation with her, she felt comfortable and she said it's really made a difference in the lives of so many people. Um, talking about her struggles and and how she overcame it and uh and so how did you meet how did you meet sarah was it through the pro the television program in Maslin?
2: no actually there was a group in Maslin that wanted to come and visit excuse me in my office okay i think there were probably six um six of the in the group and we sat around my office table for probably, I'm going to say, an hour and a half to two hours. And there was a lot of crying um, that happened, uh, a lot of um, struggles, uh, stories of struggles, stories of one mom lost her son, uh, Jackie. Um, and they were just talking about they wanted to um, do a rally and what can we do to stop the stigma? Um, and everyone there shared their personal story uh, with me um, so it was it was a very enlightening day for me
0: and they and these were all the people that were gathered uh, in your office that that morning was it all moms um, or it was just people um, men and women that had overcome struggles
2: it was, no some of them were um, recovering addicts um, there were I, one or two moms um and um that lost children and it was it was one of the days where i as i said you know you need to understand and so i did a lot of listening that day Mm -hmm. and just really um my heart went out to all of them because you know through their struggles there is a way out of addiction and i just wanted to help them
0: and so one of the ladies that came into your office that morning was sarah that's correct. And so she shared her story with you, and then you went on later to invite her onto a television program, uh, the Maslin Cable program, and you interviewed That's her. That's correct. So
2: we um, we did a we donated our gym uh, at the Rec Center, and we did a um, rally there. I call it a rally, but really it was like a Stop the Stigma rally. Mm -hmm. Um, and they had bands, they had speakers, they really did a nice job organizing it. Um, a lot of families, um, of, and their, and their children came that are, were struggling addicts and, um, really was, they were creating a a hopeful environment. Um, and I spoke very briefly at that, but we had the television show to help promote that, that day.
0: Well, you know, I had a chance to talk with Sarah yesterday, uh, and she'll be on the program later today, uh, at the nine o'clock hour, and uh, and and we're also going to get uh, Judge Frank Forshone, who really was very instrumental in getting Sarah back into rehab, and uh, and actually, you know, they say that that uh, people that are struggling with an addiction, that like ninety percent relapse, and um, and she. She made it through, she made it through and and what's most important after you make it through an addiction like that is, is being able to share your story and your struggle and how you overcame it because it brings encouragement to other other individuals that are struggling with an addiction and those family members because when somebody is addicted to opioids or heroin it's not just about the individual the addict but it's also it has an incredibly uh devastating impact on the family members as well and uh and mayor you you i mean you've had a lot of struggles uh you know as mayor and uh and you also are raising children and you have grandchildren and your daughter has special needs. So you have a great amount of empathy for other people. And with that empathy, you're able to bring encouragement out to people like Sarah that has really made a difference in her life. And uh, and now she's got a well, great, you know, great business, cake decorating business.
2: Yes. And so <clears throat> Sarah, uh, you know, I think, um, and she'll tell her story soon, but, you know, children seem to really... Help you overcome things um, and she'll talk I think she'll talk a little bit about that, but you have a reason to live, you have a reason to uh, pull yourself together with this addiction and and, and it's hard um, the like overcoming addiction is hard, but it can be done, and I think Sarah will talk about um, you know how she did it, and then with her story be able to encourage others and I think that's the biggest piece is. You know, she needs to do more and more speaking engagements so that she can impact others. And that's what she really wants to do now. So I'm really proud of her that she's going to be on the show today and share with everyone. Um, and I'm so proud of her that uh, she is an artist and um, she's a beautiful artist and she has impacted others in a very unique way. So she's really truly reinvented herself, and one of the things I want to say before I'm done talking is every single person in our world has a special gift inside, and they just need to tap into that special gift um, to be able to overcome those things that come their way throughout their life
0: that's That's uh, so true, and when you talked about how you know children Uh, our children can help us through really difficult times. And uh, in Sarah's case, her youngest child whom she was pregnant with uh, while she was struggling with her addiction, uh, her child, she named the baby Xavier. uh, And she said, because it sounded like savior, because she said that her baby really helped to, to save her and bring her out of the addiction. It gave her, uh, meaning beyond uh, just herself. And we're going to have uh, Sarah on the program at, at 10 o'clock uh, this morning. And But before that, uh, we're going to have Judge Frank Forchione who's going to join us on the program. And, uh, Mayor, I know that you've been working with Judge Frank Forchione uh, on the program, on his program, to bring people out of addiction and to help them get the, the needs and the their needs met and the services that they need, which in years previous, it was not easy to get get into a drug rehab program. Uh, but we've really made the process much smoother. Is that That's what you've correct. seen out in Massillon? Yes.
2: I've seen uh, a lot of improvement of people. Uh, it used to be they'd have to wait uh there was an open bed. Um, Today, the turnaround time to get in is very quick. And that I think is a big part because um, when an addict is ready, they're ready. And if we can't help them, they go back to using. And so it's really, he's really done a great job with that. Um, He has the Stop Heroin from Killing Committee, uh, which I've been a member of for for several years, And and a wonderful symposium every year, usually February or March. Um, and he has speakers come, and they're able to share their story with others as well. And that's very, very—listening to the stories is so helpful um, for for families, for mothers and fathers, uh, because everybody in that realm that's fight, fighting addiction is looking for hope. And and so the stories are wonderful.
0: Yeah, everybody needs hope, and everybody needs encouragement. And you are bringing that to the people out in Maslin. Uh, Mayor Kathy Catazero perry you are doing a great job. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mayor. And uh, I really appreciate our relationship as well. And, you know, uh, having a special needs child, not everyone has one. And um, so it's nice to have another family to be able to bounce things off of and, and share stories as well. And we've been able to do that through the years.
0: Yes. Thank you, Mayor. And We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Judge Frank Forchione. He's going to talk with us about his program, the Stop Heroin Committee, and he has one particular story where one of the uh, people that were in his courtroom is Sarah, and she gave him a hard time in the beginning, but now it's been six years, fully recovered, and when you come back, we'll be talking with Judge Frank Forchione. Good morning. It's uh, 9.23 here this morning, and it's a little cloudy, but we do not have as much rain going on as we did last night during a lot of those high school football games. A few of the the games were actually uh, uh, delayed, and then uh, some of them have to be completed here this morning. But on the line with us now, we have uh, Judge Frank Forchione, who's really headed up the Stop Heroin Committee and making a big difference with a lot of people that are struggling with addiction. Judge, thanks for coming on the program.
3: Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me, David.
0: How's the, uh, tell us about the program. You actually got this started uh, right about the time when you first uh, became judge, right? I mean, you. this is a program that you've spearheaded, you've been very committed to. You could see that a lot of the crime was due to people that had uh, addictions. And in order to stop the crime, you really had to get to the root of the problem, which was the the addiction itself.
3: Yeah, we've tried to go about a, a number of different ways. We started this uh, committee, Stop Surveillance from Killing Committee, and we went and approached it three or four different ways. We have a yearly symposium, which is free of the public at Malone University, and we have it every uh, February or March. Then I applied for grants to get funds for billboards uh, because... You know, they're obviously very expensive and we have them throughout the community. You'll see one right now on 77 and 62 that just simply says, I hate heroin. Uh, then that's we great. started a billboard contest with the school district that's sponsored by All Care where we let the students uh, create billboards and we post them. And then I've created a, um, just a presentation PowerPoint about 30, 40 minutes and I go speak anywhere that, uh, people are interested in learning about it.
0: And what, what would you say, and you see this every day in your courtroom, what would you say is, is the biggest obstacle to getting a person who is rooted in addiction and getting their life turned around?
3: It's just to convince them that they have a problem. Um, they come into court and they think, oh, I just tried it, uh, or I can quit any time, and uh, the addiction... And the seductiveness of the drugs of heroin and fentanyl are just incredible. I mean, it, you can stop for a day or two, but it just draws you back in.
0: Wow. And you know, we had um, so you've seen a lot. You you've had hundreds of people come through your courtroom that have that addiction, and and so you see the same patterns in each each individual, and and oftentimes they're they'll, they'll do anything, lie, cheat, and steal just to keep that that addiction that that allure that it has it's like like you said that there's a seductive aspect that the drug it pulls people in and then it totally controls their life and what you're trying to do is get them out of that pattern and get them the uh get them into rehab and get them into a program so that they can change their life right
3: yeah this isn't a, a situation where you want to lock everybody up and throw away the key those days are over The key is to get them into treatment as quickly as you can. And in some cases, they need lockdown facilities. Other cases, they can do outpatient. It's kind of a case-by-case basis, but they all need immediate help. And we have a drug court there run by Judge Farmer that that allows them to go through a year program. And if they do, their case gets expunged and dismissed.
0: Wow. Now, how does the... uh... So they go through a year program. Is that like an inpatient, outpatient combination of both? Um, and who, yeah, and who pays for that? Yeah, those are things we
3: only do with low-level drug possession cases. Um, it's, it's outpatient treatment. Generally, they could do inpatient treatment, but they also get drug tested. Usually there's a reason of taking the drug. So we get them counseling, and they meet you know, uh, periodically with the judge or whoever's running the program. And if they're able to commit to it and get it done, it can be expunged. So on the other hand, if we get some people who violate or don't show up, and they unfortunately end up in prison.
0: Now, is there a uh, when you when you see the individuals coming in, uh, you know, it, it can also be a very discouraging, uh, you know, for uh, you know people that are trying to help others that have an addiction because you see that there is just a high percentage of addicts that will relapse. Uh, do you see that in your courtroom? And, and, and what, what motivates you to keep going and, and working with with people that are addicts?
3: Well, you go to enough funerals, and sometimes there are people I know, and you say, boy, maybe I could have done something. But what I found interesting is when families come in support and I take their son or daughter or brother and sister into custody, I expect them to be mad and maybe yell at me, and they are grateful because they haven't got them to commit to the treatment. So they've been actually very happy that I've taken these steps.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and really you have um, one of a numerous uh, number of people that have come through your courtroom. There's one that I had a chance to talk to last night, uh, Sarah, and uh, she said that her relationship with you started in the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes, it did.
0: And it and she said it was it was not what you would call a very pleasant experience because you had pretty much laid down the law and said, you know, she was pregnant at the time. She was uh, she was in a, you know, a lot of trouble and uh, and she was pregnant. And, and you said, listen, for the sake of your baby and and for yourself, you're going to get this right and and you got to stop stop using and she said she really didn't uh like what you had to say at the time but it was it was something that uh saved her life
3: yeah i and i'm sure david at times i'm not the easiest judge to be in front of um <laughs> but you're but getting, well you are getting go people's well.
0: attention you're getting people's yeah. attention and and that's
3: yeah,
0: what's she, go, go and it was that's what sarah said uh she and she said you you saved her life, but it wasn't pleasant. Uh, Judge, we're going to take a break. We're going to come sure. back. We'd like to hear the story about Sarah and when you first met her in the courtroom. And then uh, later in the program, we're going to bring her on, and we're going to hear uh, what she has to say and, and all the good things she has to say about you, but that, <laughs> that difficult path that she was on. Sure. And, absolutely. Uh, we'll be back. You're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. Good morning. This is David Held. You're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. And this morning, we are talking with Judge Frank Forchon, who has started the program to get people that are in addiction uh, and getting in, them into recovery. And, and you have a success story. You have a, a lot of success stories. But this one particular success story, I had, I had uh, seen a picture that Mayor Kathy Catazaro-Perry had sent me. It was a picture of a beautiful cake. I mean this incredibly an <laughs> incredibly yeah. uh decorative I mean this cake was uh <laughs> we're gonna I mean, we're gonna have to post it on we're gonna post it online because it's sure. a beautiful cake. And uh and so this cake was sent to you uh by yeah. Sarah, who was in your courtroom and she was pregnant at the time, and she was an addict and she said that she was uh uh you know in a in a life of crime at the time also and was not receptive towards your uh requirement to, to go to rehab right i mean
3: yeah it's the first time i sent someone to prison and they baked me a cake uh yeah there's two <laughs> little stories here um her and i did not get along well and she wasn't listening and i was really angry at her because she was pregnant and sometimes I've learned the best thing is I call it chip and shock. I, I shock them and send them to prison and then get them into our lockdown treatment facility, which I did. And it really obviously woke her up. And then here we are six years later. My lovely wife, Rachel, had saved for a long time to have a birthday weekend for me for New York City last week. Mm-hmm. And because of the virus, we couldn't go. And Sarah found out and had delivered to the restaurant, Luca restaurant, where we were having dinner this incredible cake of New York City with a big apple at the top, my name in Broadway lights, and it was just one of the most incredible things. So I'm very proud of her and her diligence and her strength and courage. And in the end, we've actually uh, formed a very great relationship.
0: Well, she said I had an opportunity to talk to her last night, and she said that, uh, that you saved her life, that that your insistence, she said that you really got her attention When you said, she said that, you know, you told her you're pregnant and I'm going to make sure that you're going to take care of this baby or I'm going to be coming after you. I'm not letting you go. Right. And she said it got her attention. And she talked about the pathway that she went through in order to, uh, you know, there's just a, she said there's a, a lot of denial that that the drugs overtake your, your mind and your brain. And she said, it makes you a different person. It's almost like you are leading a double life. And, and she said, if it wasn't for, uh, unconditional love, unconditional love by people that, uh, were in her life at the time, even though her behavior may not have warranted, uh, you know, uh, somebody providing support to her. Uh, she said it 's those individuals like yourself that were calling her to a higher level, and that 's what you did and so you see a lot of people like that judge and uh, and and what's what 's the biggest the biggest obstacle to overcome
3: just getting them to commit and some feeling that they 're worthy that they 're worthy of of being treated respectfully and that they can get help, and that there can be a brighter path. What I did with her and what I do commonly, David, is once I send them to our treatment facility, I tell them in my courtroom, I'm going to come out and see you then. And I usually go out every month or every other month and and go speak to the, the people that are out there, listen to them a little bit. I've learned a lot from them. And then they think, wow, a judge actually came out here and talked to me and said he would. And I think that they need any kind of moral support because they've usually burned bridges with friends, employers, and parents and things like that.
0: Yeah. It's amazing because uh, if you have a judge that shows up out of the rehab facility, I mean, that has to be, I mean, that's powerful because you don't see that very often. I mean, it just shows that you are very committed to the program. And I remember this was years ago. It was actually the first symposium that you had at Malone. And you had uh, counselors that were up there, but you also had uh, individuals that had overcome addiction that were speaking uh, to the audience. And that was, I found that to be powerful. I mean, really powerful.
3: Uh, Yeah, at the symposium, I always try to find speakers. Uh, We've had interesting some mothers that have lost a child, people that have overcome And it's funny. I generally don't look. People just call me and say, I'd like to speak next year. And and maybe I went the year before, but it's all about getting the word out there. I I think people are now starting to accept that it is a problem. All our lives have been touched by it. And we all need as a community to keep working at it.
0: Now, do you see also that there's a shame associated with it that uh, when, when somebody's an addict that they don't want to talk about it? They don't want attention drawn to it now when they come to your courtroom there's going to be attention drawn to their their circumstance and their addiction and their life and you oftentimes have the the families in the courtroom and and they want you to put their their family member in jail is that correct
3: right it's um... It's an interesting tool once in my courtroom because I always tell them, I'm going to be a year from now. I'm going to be the person you either love, love the most, or hate the most, because I now control your fate, and I'm going to get you help, and I'm going to be there to try to help you, and you're going to decide the path that your life's going to take.
0: Now, have you had uh, some that come into your courtroom where you could just see they're just they are not into what you're saying at all, and and that's when you use the shock, right? The shock of jail.
3: Yeah, when they when they have that kind of attitude and they're just violating the minor rules, then I'll send them to prison for like 90 days just for them to realize they can lose their rights. This is where I'm headed. And then you get them into the treatment because if you don't get them treatment, you don't have a chance of doing it. And um they have told me later some will come to see me is that's the thing that woke them up, the prison and then the treatment right after it. Then they were anxious to do the treatment.
0: Now when you and this is something that uh uh, Judge that you've just learned. Uh, you know you've worked with a lot of people, but but a lot of the success that you've had is is you know firsthand. I mean, you you could see that. Okay, when I take this action, I send somebody to prison for ninety days. This this has worked. Or if I talk to the families and 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 then sadly you've went to so many funerals of of people that were not able to overcome. So you you really are developing, you've developed your tools and your program over the years. Is that what is that? Yeah, is you that
3: by, yeah, you learn by listening. I mean, this whole opioid epidemic hit us like a tidal wave. We, we weren't expecting it. You know, we weren't trained how to deal with it. Um, and so as a community, we just tried to figure it out. But I've learned by going and listening to the addicts and listening to the recovery, they kind of tell you what works. And I've made some mistakes down the road like any other judge, but we've gotten a lot of it right. And uh, there's nothing better when my wife and I are having dinner and someone just comes up to our table and says, hey, you made a difference in my life. And they'll tell me the time they're in front of me. And usually I raise my voice a little bit, Dave. With them, right. But, uh, in the end, it worked out okay.
0: But you've got to have somebody that really wakes them up. And that's what you're doing. We had uh, Sarah. She's going to be on the – we're going to see if we can get her – on the line with your, uh, with you, Judge, before we start the interview with Sarah oh, okay. and just and see if we can get uh, sure. you know her on with you because she said that when she first met you in the courtroom, she said she was not happy with you. She was not <laughs> what you would call somebody that was very cooperative. And uh-huh. even when she went through the rehab for the first 30 days, she was saying that, yeah, you, you tell the people in rehab what they want to hear. Uh, she said, I didn't really want to discuss my issues or my problems with anybody. And I was there because I was forced. She was forced there by you. and uh, But she said, ultimately, that is what saved her life. I mean, that is what turned her life around. And you were motivated by helping her, uh, especially because she was four months pregnant at the time. Is that right? right?
3: Yeah, that really angered me because now you're affecting someone else's life. And at the time, I'm sure, I think, uh, I know I called her selfish. Um <laughs> and uh as a judge sometimes you have to have that hard line not that you're trying to be mean but you're just trying to wake them up and maybe i got a little bit of that from my father who's up in heaven right now
0: yeah but you you've, you've got to be tough because it's it's really you know it's like the the tough love i mean you're a very yeah. caring tender-hearted man but at the same time you're you're dealing with people that you know are are just wreaking havoc on not only their own lives but then the lives of uh, people in the community and and their family members, so judge if you if you wouldn't mind sure. what we'd like to do is we're going to be we're going see if we can get uh, Sarah on the line here uh, sure. and we'll take a break we'll get Sarah on the line and that would be uh we're going to have uh, Sarah who went through the drug rehab that Judge Forchione forced her into and was you were you were pretty you were you were very forceful with her and she said it it saved her life so we'll take a break and we will be right back. I hear something saying uh. good morning. It might be a little cloudy out there this morning here at nine forty eight but we have two people that are bringing a lot of sunshine to the people in Stark county, and uh, on the line with us this morning, we have uh, Judge Frank forshone, and uh, judge, you are a tender hearted man, but you are also a tough judge and you had a <laughs> you had a lady in your courtroom a number of years ago. Uh, Sarah, who was pregnant at the time, and she was also addicted, and you pretty much told her uh, how things were going to be, and on the line with us also is Sarah. Sarah, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? We're doing very well. I mean, it, it's just amazing to have you both on the program together, and uh, and and Sarah, why don't you tell us, uh, while we have the judge here on the line, Tell tell us what you were thinking, Back so many years ago, when you were in his when you were in his courtroom, and tell us how how your recovery started.
3: Okay.
4: Good morning, Judge. How are you?
3: Good morning. Good to hear from you. <laughs>
0: um,
4: well, my story started back in 2008, actually, when I first became addicted to opioid painkillers. Um, I got them from my doctor for a back injury and from a um, Stark County dentist. I won't name names, but um, he was giving them to me for minor dental work, um, and I became addicted. And about six months later, I ended up in Judge Froshone's courtroom addicted to heroin. Um, He did sentence me to prison um, and then brought me back and put me in his rehab facility here in Stark County, Um, and I did better for quite a few years. But the problem was, I wasn't receptive to change at the time, and I put myself back in the the same positions that I had been in um, when I landed in his courtroom the first time. Uh, The second time, um, I became pregnant while in active use, um, and I was about close to five months pregnant when I ended up in his courtroom for the second time. I had violated my probation, and he was not happy with me. Um, I wasn't happy with myself either. Um, He said some words that really resonated with me, and he scared me, quite frankly. Um, He is a very kind, caring, tender-hearted person, but when he puts on his judge hat and his robe, he can be very mean, and he's not saying things to, to people to be mean, so don't get me wrong. He's saying them to them to get their attention, nope. and he told me uh, you're either going to do this or and take care of this child, or I'm coming after you, and he meant every word that he said. He truly did. Um, after about 30 days in, the, in the, the new rehab program that he sent me to, I began to realize that he didn't say those things to me to be mean. He said them to me because he wanted me to wanted me to do better and be a better person, and that was a way to get my attention. Um, that was when I really began to uh, listen and talk to counselors about um, things that happened in my childhood and, and early twenties that um, caused me to be receptive to drug addiction.
0: Now, now, Judge, when uh, so you had Sarah who was in your courtroom for the second time, and, and you had to think that well uh the shock program at first didn't didn 't work right and and so how did you yeah, how did it you change
3: like plan? my seemed like my message wasn 't going to get across to her, so I had to try to take it to a second level
0: mhm and that was uh, and really what what was motivating you was the fact that you saw that not only was uh, sarah 's life at stake but then also the life of her baby. Did that make a difference?
3: Yes, that really inflamed my Italian temper. um,
0: Because (laughs) now
3: I think my words to her is that she was selfish, and she's not selfish. She's an amazing woman and a caring woman. But at that time, and that's what happens when you go through addiction, you become very selfish. And that's the point I was trying to make to her. You're not thinking about this baby. You're only thinking about yourself.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But Sarah, that's really that's really what you needed to hear at the time.
4: It is. Absolutely. Um and we we do care as addicts um while we're using many of us do feel bad about the things that we do and the things that we say to people. But the opioids take over your mind so much so that it's almost as if you have an evil twin. And The evil twin in me had come out, um, and using while pregnant, it was a terrible, horrible thing to do, but my mind was so overtaken by the opioids that all I could think about from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed was how to not be sick and how to, how I was going to get opioids the next day. I wasn't thinking about my unborn baby at all to right. be quite
0: honest you're you're thinking that that because the uh when you say how not to be sick that when you don't have the the drug your you become really really sick and so your 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 whole life becomes geared towards avoiding that 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 terrible feeling of uh the withdrawal and and finding drugs is that right
4: that's absolutely correct. Um, withdraw from opioids. I'd like to describe it as the worst flu you can imagine, times a hundred. It's very violent at times. Um, I do believe that God had His hands on me, the judge, and my unborn baby because he's five years old now, and there's he just started kindergarten over at um, Saint Joan of Arc, and there's nothing wrong with him. He came out um, almost nine pounds, very healthy little guy, um, very active, very smart little guy. And had God not had his hands in that, it, we could have had a very terrible outcome.
0: So really it was, it was Judge Judge Frank Forshone and his program and his insistence and his toughness mm-hmm. with you that really made the difference. And And Judge, um we're we're so grateful for the work that you're doing and I know you've been working on on turning the lives of addicts around for how many years now?
3: Well, all the um all the credit here goes to Sarah. I mean, she had so much courage and strength to do it and that's why I admire her so very very much.
0: Now you're now Sarah, your son, his name is Xavier. Right? Yes. Yes. Uh
4: his name is Xavier because it sounds like savior he saved my life had I not gotten pregnant with him I probably wouldn't have ended up in the judge's courtroom I probably would have ran from my probation officer and ended up dead
0: that's it's it's just it's just incredible and you see a lot of people there's hundreds of people that go through judge for uh, program uh, through his courtroom and and some just they don't want to change and you were one of those people and it, it required a second time coming through his courtroom the first time it just didn't seem to get through what was the first time were were you just trying to you know appease the judge or or what were you thinking Sarah as compared to um, the second time
4: well the first time I did want help um I knew that again I went from being Soccer mom. I was a hotel manager. Um, I had three other children. I was married. I'm still married to the to the same man. God bless him. He stayed with me throughout this entire mess. Um, and I, when I got out of the rehab program the first time, I really was trying. Um, I was trying to keep my life together. Um, My husband and I were separated at the time. Um, Although we were still together, we lived separately because of my addiction. Um, I believe he wanted to make sure that I was gonna turn my life around. Um, And I did so. And then I, I, I don't know what clicked in my head, but someone offered me a morphine pill and I took it. And I'm gonna say it wasn't any more than again, six months later, I was right back in the judge's courtroom. And that's how quickly opioids can take over your mind. Um, I, I honestly don't know why I did it, to be quite frank. Um, I do know that the second time around, um, I, listen, I I really began to listen to the counselors and listen to other people who had gone through what I was going through. Um, I really wanted to change. I wanted to be there for my children. I felt like a a terrible person for putting my children through um, what they went through. You know, again, I went from being soccer mom and being home every evening and you know, getting my kids ready for bed, getting them up, and getting them out the door to school, and and going to work, and coming home, and just they had a routine. And when they found out that I was addicted, it really it messed up their their entire little worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to put them through that again. Um, I don't understand, quite frankly, why I took that morphine pill. But what I do know is that when you when you begin your path into recovery, you really have to change your entire life. Um, I didn't have a cell phone for a whole year because I was afraid if I got a cell phone that I might start trying to text um, or get a hold of drug dealers. So my husband and I together decided that I wouldn't have a cell phone, that his phone would be the cell phone in the house. Um I didn't go anywhere without my husband. Um when I got a job I was working at a pizza shop. I gave my husband control of my paycheck. I just I took every precaution necessary to make sure that we didn't have to go see the judge a third time. <laughs>
0: Well, what what I'd like to do, Sarah, we're going to have to take a break. And, Judge, if you could just stay on for one more break. And, and what sure. we'll do is uh, we'd like you to, to just give a message to all those people that are on opioids and, and overcoming addiction. And then, Sarah, uh, because the judge has been so kind and so patient and supportive of, of our program here, we'd like to give the judge a break then, and then we'd like to hear more about your story. So we will be back with Sarah was the soccer mom that overcame her heroin addiction, and Judge Frank Forcione who who made the difference and turned her life around. Listening to News Talk 1480wHBC, and I thought it was a great way to enter this segment of the
3: program'
0: And talking about leaning on me, when people are going through a difficult time, we have uh, on the line with us Sarah. and Sarah is a recovering drug addict, and uh, one of the people that you were leaning on in your very difficult time was Judge Frank judge frank Forcione and, and judge we have you on the line and uh you made a big difference made a big difference in the lives of a lot of people and particularly sarah and uh and you gave her the you gave her the tough love that she needed and you made a big difference and she recently sent you a cake this has been how many years later like six years later and she sent you a cake on your birthday
3: yeah, it was about six years later, and uh, we were celebrating my birthday, my wife Rachel and I, and she made this incredible cake. She actually uh, had done one a few years before when she just showed up one day at my office to talk to me and tell me how good she was doing, and and I asked her what she was doing, and she had a cake business, so I hired her to make a cake for my wife Rachel, uh, who's from Texas, something with Texas, and it was an incredible cake. She's just so gifted and so talented.
0: You know, it's it's so nice to see when um, when when you have yourself, judge who's on one end of the spectrum where you're trying to get uh, you know people to admit that they have a problem, and and they're on the other end and they're saying I really don't I don't really want to deal with this right now. I'm not prepared or equipped because the drugs just overtake their mind. And Sarah, that's what you went through when when you went through the judge, his court. From the first time and then the second time but now your life is totally different
4: it is and I honestly credit all of it to God I believe in the power of prayer and I believe that every time um, I hit my knees and begged for help <clears throat> that he led me to the right people to help me and one of those people was Judge Farshoni so I thank you judge from the bottom of my heart, for the help that you've given me, um, and the help that you've given me throughout the last few years um, in hiring me for um, cake jobs and um, inviting me to speak at the symposium and um, for the the television segment that we did for Maslin Cable TV, um, and every time before I before I speak. I pray and I ask God to lead me because somebody out there needs to hear that there is um, recovery, that it does happen, um, and that people can change their lives.
0: You know, and and Judge, it's got to make you feel good because uh, you see a lot of people that come through and uh, they have that that look of hopelessness, and their lives are, are really in a bad spot when they when they come to your courtroom they are at their lowest point and it's just got to be really encouraging to you when you see people like sarah who are are telling you that you know you've you turned their life around and and sometimes you got to get really tough and what sarah thought at the time was that you were a little bit mean and uh, <laughs> a little mean but she needed it right right yeah
3: Yeah. Well, it's it's never, there's no book on how to get the message. Um, This is one of the reasons I enjoy the job, you know, stories like Sarah. And again, I think the credit goes to her. I'm so proud of her. And and it's great getting to know her as a person. She's so incredible. And, you know, hopefully this, there's some people out there listening today that may be struggling, may be trying to get by and to hear this. And I learned something from listening to Sarah today. When you're struggling with addiction, maybe get rid of that cell phone. I think that was a great idea. So I learned uh, by listening to her today.
0: What if we had, um, if, if there's, um, a Judge, we'll, we'll start with you. If you have somebody that uh, is listening right now and they're addicted and maybe they don't think that they have a problem, but they know they got a lot of problems in their life and, and maybe they're considering that maybe I do uh need need some help what would you encourage them to do
3: i would encourage them to get help we can get you in a bed today you got to commit now because the life you're going to save is yourself
0: and you know and and sarah uh what what would you have to say to people that are that are sitting out there because remember you had mentioned that uh while you're addicted one of your neighbors uh would actually she and this person had continued to reach out to you, right? And that made a difference. That also made a difference, right?
4: It, sure. it did, absolutely. Um, her name was Heather, and at the time she was uh, going to ComQuest, she was addicted herself, and she was in their methadone program. And every single day she would ask me, are you ready? Do you want to go get help? Um, and so because that resonated with me, and it, it in the end it did help me to think that, Someone that I barely knew cared enough to just ask me, uh, you know, or, and check on me and honestly make sure that I was still alive because heroin takes people so quickly. Um, so that's what I try to do for people is I just check on them. I um, I have a list, a running list, actually, of people that I text or call daily just to make sure that they're still alive, just to make sure that um, – that they're okay and ask them today, are you ready for help? Um, I can call around and find a bed for you right now if you're ready for help. Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook. My last name is Alton, A-L-T-O-N. First name is Sarah. I am H-less. So it's just S-A-R-A. Um, reach out to me. Let me know, um, that you're addicted and that you would like to, to just talk, even just to talk. Um, I'm available. So. Reach out,
0: please. And, and, Judge, this does not discriminate against anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be the the rich, the poor. Uh, anybody can fall into an addiction. It,
3: it's everywhere. It's in with every family. It's it, all the different uh, financial backgrounds. It's in the cities. It's in the suburbs. It, it's everywhere right now.
0: And what, what do you think is really one of, you know, what what's caused this to be such an explosion of uh, of addiction? What do you think is? Well, part of
3: the problem is just that the overabundance of prescription drugs, and we've tried to curtail that, but especially going through this virus right now, you have a lot of people lonely, a lot of people at home, a lot of people depressed, maybe laid off. And so we're actually, after seeing the numbers go down in 2018, we're starting to see the numbers go up again.
0: And that's and that's really because of, you know, the stress that people are going through. And, and like you said, the opioids. And I know that you've gone to really every length, even, you know, at the at the recycling district where we have the drug take back program and, and, the, and the drug collection boxes just to make it convenient for people to dispose of their unused prescription drugs. They can drop them off at any of the local police stations in Stark County. So it's really you have a comprehensive approach in order to dealing with the addiction and, and getting people back on track. Um, do you think that um when you look at um again somebody uh like Sarah where you know it doesn 't doesn 't always work the first time sometimes it's a second or third time uh but that gives you that gives you encouragement that people can change so if you have people that are listening out there uh right now judge that uh they're they're going through a rough time. They're depressed. Uh, they might not, uh, you know, have a job right now. A lot of struggles. What, what, what would you, what would you ask them to do?
3: Don't give up on themselves, and I won't give up on them. I always ask them to call me. I've had them come down to my office. I went to lunch with them. Don't give up on yourself. Give yourself a chance.
0: And you'll even go out to the. You've went out to the rehab centers to visit them after you've, you've, you know, you've sent them to prison. You've sent them to. Uh, rehab and then you you do follow up i mean you follow up to see how they're doing
3: we tried to because i think if they know they have someone in their life someone supporting them and believing with them it can make the real difference
0: now sarah you had mentioned too that uh there was a you know your family members they really were getting they, their their patients had run out right or, yes or
4: yes my brother um who I have a, a good relationship with now. Uh we were born uh less than eighteen months apart at where you saw Roy, you saw Sarah, and um he stopped speaking to me for probably I'm gonna say two years he didn't speak to me. Um my mother, um she barely spoke to me uh, because of the things that I did when I was in active addiction. Um they were angry. Um my father-in-law who i stole from i gotta thank larry because he gave me a place to stay when the judge let me um come home I, i gave birth one week later um after i i got home from um rehab and larry let me stay with him although i had stolen from him lied to him to get money and you know um taking cars without permission. I'd done all these things and the man let me back in his house because he just, he re, he didn't give up on me. And um, I think it was the support of my husband and my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, Laura, who, you know, although they were angry with me, they just didn't give up. Um, they knew me before the addiction. I, I feel like they knew that I could get back to being the person that I was before. Um, although I've changed, I have to say, um, I feel like I'm a better person than I ever was, and it's because of the support of family um, and and friends and Judge Forshone and Mayor Kathy and all the people who have shown me that it's more than just family. It's about community, community support
0: really does make a big difference when you have people that you're able to lean on that that are able to help you through those difficult times it,
4: it sure does and I know to this day that if I have a problem or I'm feeling like you know I might use that I can call the judge and he would be right there for me I know he would um, and I feel the same way about Mayor Kathy that if I had a problem I could reach out and she would be there for me um, and I think that that's a huge that plays a huge role in getting someone um, to stay in recovery once we get there is having, you know, those people to lean on and, and those support systems in place. So, you know, just letting people know that you're there and that you you care about them, that you love them, that you want to see them do well is incredibly important in someone's recovery.
0: Uh, Sarah, you are also, I mean, just listening to your story, it's, it's incredible because you're so... Um so open you're so articulate and you you really help people to understand that when the drugs when somebody gets addicted it just it take it changes their mind it just makes them into it's it's like a uh, you said like an evil twin you you have yeah. like a split personality right thank
4: you and again i i just pray before i talk about my um my active use, and i pray before i talk about um my recovery, because I believe that that God led me um even to you, David, God has led us to be together today to t- to to talk about this um, and yes, um we become an evil twin, you know, I never would have waited um faked sleep and waited until my husband was fully asleep to steal money from his wallet. Because, you know, up until then, we just shared money. Um, I never would have, you know, taken money out of my mother's wallet or stolen money from my father-in-law. You know, any of those people, if I needed help or I needed money, I could have gone to and just asked for it. But I chose to steal it. And, you know, I was 32 years old when I, uh, the first time I ever got arrested. So I'd never been in trouble in my whole life. And here I was. Um, I'd met some people that they were robbing houses and they offered me a thousand dollars a day to just drive them, drop them. All I had to do was drop them off, drive away, wait for the phone call and go back and pick them up. That's all I had to do. And in my mind I thought, well, I'm not robbing these houses. You know, I'm just giving somebody a ride. So I justified my terrible behavior, my, my criminal behavior with, that thought of, well, it's not really me doing it, I'm just giving somebody a ride. So things that I never would have thought, things that I never would have done and had never done um, just became my regular daily activity.
0: And see, that's that's what I think is is really most important, is that when you have family members that are dealing with an addict, just knowing that 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 frame of mind, they'll lie, cheat, and steal just to keep that addiction going. Uh uh what we're going to do is judge you've been on the line for us you've been very patient with us uh sarah if you could just uh just tell us again how what what has judge for meant meant to you and uh and then we'll we'll be able to let him be on his way because i know he's very busy today but yes, sarah go ahead
4: i'm gonna cry probably <laughs> um judge for you mean so much to me in my recovery um god bless you you say things to people that really resonate. You are the help that people need. Um, I b- fully believe again that God puts people in places to help one another. And I believe that He put you in a in a position and in a place to help me. And I just thank you so much for it. And you know, my children, thank you for it. You have met my daughter Morgan. I'd really love for you to meet the little guy, the five-year-old. Um, just so you know, you know fully that I am definitely taking care of him the way that you asked me to or told me to <laughs> um but you just mean so much to me and um i was i feel blessed to have been able to create a birthday cake for you because without you i would have had no more birthdays i i would have died so again thank you so much my little guy wouldn't be here without you um and I know that if I have any kind of problem, that I could, I could call you, and you would help me figure it out. So um, just thank you, thank you for being an incredible member of the recovery community, um, because I know that you, you listen, and that's important too. We just, we just want to feel human, and we just want to be heard.
0: Well, Judge, you're making, you're making. Judge Frank Forshoun, your, pro, your program is making a big difference in the lives of a lot of people. And we there sure is. And we're, we're just, uh, the, you know, on behalf of the community, we're very grateful for the work that you're doing. And, and we greatly appreciate you being on the program.
3: Well, well, thank you for having me. And, again, Sarah, you're very dear to my heart. And I'll tell you what, I know we talk. Give me a call, and we'll take the little guy for an ice cream cone. How about that? Oh, me. that's
4: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That
3: would just be amazing. Thank you. Well, I look, I look forward to it, and thank you for all that you've accomplished.
0: All right. Thank well. you. Well, Judge, thank you for being on the program here this oh. morning. And, and Sarah, well, we would like for you to stay through the break, and we'd, we'd like to finish up your story and your road to recovery from going from uh, being a soccer mom to a heroin addict, and now you got your life together. You're listening to News Talk 1480 WHBC. Good morning. It's ten thirty-five, and uh, sometimes we just need somebody to lean on. And uh, Sarah, Sarah, you had uh, plenty of people that you were able to lead on, particularly Judge Frank Forchione when you were going through your addiction, and uh, and also your husband. Your your husband, he stuck through you, stuck with you through some really difficult times, and uh, and you made it through.
4: Yes. Yes, and all the glory for that goes to God. Um I believe that, you know, again, he places people in our lives that help us through difficult situations like that. Um and my husband Chris is definitely one of them.
0: When you had uh so you were saying that, that really you were um you were a soccer mom. You had children, your regular life and uh and your husband's working and but once you started getting addicted how did you how did you start with your addiction it was uh... through the opiates through um, um you had uh... you know pain and you were and you were taking a prescription drug correct
4: yes that's right um... i was a hotel manager i had three children at home my husband worked i worked um... they had a regular routine um... i would you know go home in the evenings and we would eat dinner and they would get baths and go to bed. I would get up in the morning, get them ready and off to school and um, go to work. And then um, I started, well, I've always always had back problems. Um, My spine is twisted Mm -hmm. and it never occurred to me to get opioid painkillers until I was given them. Um, And then also I've always had dental problems. And the dentist that I was seeing, uh was regularly giving me twenty to thirty uh percocets just for minor dental work, you know, just for um having fillings done or having one tooth pulled out. He would give me twenty to thirty percocets and I liked the way they made me feel. Um and pretty soon my body was physically addicted to them too so there's a mental aspect to it a physical aspect to it and then a spiritual aspect to um, addiction and recovery and um, my substance use started with those pills Uh, pretty soon I got cut off of the pills and I was you know really really sick and this gentleman that I knew said well you know, you're what what they call dope sick. You know, you're dope sick. Well, I thought I had the flu. I thought something was wrong with me. Um And he said, I can get heroin and it'll make you feel better. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I would never do heroin. That's a crazy thought. There's no way. Um, and about three hours later, I gave him the money to go get it for me because that's how violently sick I'd become. Um, from withdraw from the pills. It's like the flu, to, the worst flu you can imagine times a hundred. And you'll do anything just to feel better. Uh, so I this, this person uh, got the heroin for me and rather than injecting it, I snorted it. Um, it wasn't more than two weeks later that I was injecting it um, because that's how quickly the addiction can move um, for people. It's It's very rapid in its uh, takeover, and it really does take over your your brain. It controls your every thought um, to the point where from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed, my entire thought process was, how am I going to get my my heroin for today? When am I going to get more heroin? How am I going to inject this heroin, Um, meaning, where am I going to find needles at? Because at that time you couldn't purchase them really over the counter at very many places. So it was, it was figuring out how to get it, where to get it from, how to inject it, and then you go to sleep and wake up and it's the same thing repeatedly. And that is, to me, a living nightmare. Now, I believe that heroin is, is Satan in powder form. And that is how he gets in and controls every thought that you have.
0: And so it's you like can. I had
4: an evil twin.
0: So really, when um, and, and there's a lot of families out there that have had um, family members who struggle with addiction, who are still struggling with addiction. And mm-hmm. and, and you and what would you say to? Uh, you know a person that's out there right now who might be listening, or their family member who's listening, What would you say to the family members that you know they're they're feel like they're at the end of their rope right now? I
4: have to reiterate what the judge said, and don't give up where there's breath, I believe there's hope um, at any given moment, a person could decide that they want help and I'm not saying enable someone, don't give them money, but make sure that their basic needs are met because we need to know that when we're in active use, we really need to know that there's somebody that cares. If we feel like nobody cares about us, we're not gonna care about ourselves because it, it, again, it's the, the thought process. You know, you get to the point where you don't care about yourself. Um, don't give up on them. Um, make sure that they're alive every day. Um, just the simple text of hey I'm still here I love you if you need help let me know can it it resonates with people it it lets them know that you're there and that you care about them and that's super important to someone um, to every human being to to know that there's some unconditional love there Um, so don't give up ever where there is breath there is hope
0: the unconditional love and acceptance really does make a difference because that's what every human being ultimately what we what, what, what we crave what we need most is unconditional love and acceptance and Sarah, you said that um that really um one of the, the one of the areas where it really started was back when you were a teenager right and and how you were handling your problems back then
4: right um <clears throat> I was raped um, at a a young age, young teenage age, Um, and when I went home, my mother was very um, old school. She was 42 years old when she had me. She was born in 1935, Um, so she is from the generation of we don't talk about it. Um, So when I told her what happened, she told me that I was too young, that I never should have been out there with those people Um, and that we're not calling the police because, um, if they put you on the witness stand, they'll just make you look like a slut. Um, and it was shortly, and, you know, not long, not long before that, um, my father, um, passed away from cancer and he took his last breath in front of my brother and me. Um, Hmm. not long after that, we were uprooted and moved to the middle of West Virginia where I knew nobody. So, um, my, my whole support system was just my mother, um, To give some clarification to that so when I was raped she was all I had and when she told me you know we're not going to talk about it you know you're just not going to go with these people anymore um it was not long after that that I began to drink um not long after that I was drinking entire bottles of black velvet in my bedroom and just going to sleep and um That continued on um, into my early 20s, and it progressed into cocaine use um, in both the crack form and the powder form. And um, it took my brother going to prison and me um, hitting a a rock bottom at that point to stop. Um, And I hadn't used any drugs from the time I was... 24, 23 or 24, all the way up until I was 32 years old and given um, the opioids. So the tendency towards addiction was always there. I just pressed it down. Um, and then next thing you know, I'm um, programmed into the drug dealer's phone as soccer mom. <laughs> um <clears throat> It it does progress rather quickly, and I I believe if I had gotten the help that I needed when I was drinking and using cocaine, that perhaps I wouldn't have taken the opioid painkillers. But again, um, people didn't know a lot about opioid painkillers, and you always thought that when you're given something by the doctor that you need it, that you're supposed to take it. Um, Nobody thought that these painkillers would cause what we see now with heroin use. Nobody thought about that. Um, And I think 90% of the doctors weren't thinking about that. You know, they weren't, they didn't know.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's something, Sarah, when you talk about the power of opioids and, and, you know, just to give like some perspective, I, I remember having a case of the shingles, which is like a, you know, it's a, a terrible terrible pain it felt as though like i had a two by four through my uh, stomach and oh wow it was just you know Sorry. terribly painful but the thing is is that when i went to the emergency room as i didn't know what was wrong they gave me the uh you know the uh, opioids and i'll tell you instantaneous relief I mean, uh-huh. just goes away, and I'm thinking, great, I went and started working out the next morning, and by 10 a.m. when that wore off, I mean, I didn't think I could move, uh-huh. and and that is something that you know, the uh, the drugs are very powerful and they work, but then they start to diminish uh, their that pain relief over time. So then people start to take, you know, a higher dose and then a little bit more. Right.
4: Right. It it got to the point where, um, again, this was 2008 and 2009 um, when we first started to really see the wave of uh, opioid addiction in the community or when I would first became aware of it, I guess I should say it got to the point with me to where I would go to sat care and they would give me the prescription of 20 or 30 uh, Vicodin or Percocet, and I would sit in the the parking lot of the pharmacy and eat the entire bottle at once because um, my tolerance for that drug had, had diminished or, or had gone up. I'm sorry. It had gone up so high that it would take that entire bottle to make me just feel not sick.
0: Right, because your tolerance was so high. Right. That's, right. it's um, just, okay. It's just it's just it's amazing to see how you have overcome this. I mean, you really sharing your story here this morning and having uh, Judge Forchione and Mayor Kathy Catizzaro Perry. It really just it it gives a lot of people hope. They you know, you got a cloudy day outside, but your story has really I mean I'm listening to it I'm getting goosebumps and and then a couple of times I I was glad I had you and the judge on the line at the same time cuz I didn't think I I was getting choked up listening to your story. I mean it's very very powerful and you're making a difference in the lives of a lot of people and uh and Sarah we're we're so grateful to have you on on as a guest this morning and if anybody's out there and they're struggling with addiction um uh We'd love Sarah uh, in closing. Please give give them a message of hope. What would you like to say to anybody that's out there, there struggling with an addiction?
4: You are loved. You are important, and you deserve to give yourself a chance. Give yourself a chance, please. It is absolutely worth it to come out on the other side and be able to just live your life without waking up and your first thought being drugs. Um, my first thought now is, well, coffee first, ha ha. And then (laughs) where, where are my kids at? What are they doing? And it, it, it just give yourself a chance. God loves you. I love you. I care about you. Um, if I'm allowed to give my phone number, David, is that okay? If I give yeah, you... my phone number? Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. If sure. anybody sure wants
4: help right now, I will help you. Or even six months down the road, just please save my phone number. Call me. Let me know that you're struggling. I'll call you or text you every day just to make sure you're okay. I care. So please, um 978 nine one zero five give me a call text me you don't even have to give me your name if you want some help I'll help you I'll talk to you without ever knowing your name if you want to remain anonymous that's fine if anybody wants to know more about my story or more about um, addiction or recovery you're welcome to call as well any parents out there that that want to talk um, I can direct you to some wonderful people There's a group called Ohio, C-A-N, Ohio CAN. The CAN stands for Change Addiction Now. And it's a group of activist mothers who put this together. Um, One of them is Cindy Kumuji and the other one is Sharon. Um, They're absolutely wonderful to talk to as parents who have struggled with their children with addiction um so you can look that group up on facebook again it's ohio can um my last name is uh alton a l t o n you're welcome to look me up on facebook too and send me a friend request or just chat with me if you want um anytime
0: well, sarah i'll um, tell you you are you have been uh, you brought a lot of hope to a lot of people we greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing your message here this morning and, uh, and thank you for being on the program, and, uh, and God bless you in the work that you're doing. And we're going thank to take you. a break now, and uh, thank you very much, sir. We're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back for a recap here. Okay, it's just before 11 o'clock here, and we have Judge Frank Forcione, who's making a big difference in his program to get drug addicts to come into his uh, courtroom, get them the help that they need. And then we also have Mayor Kathy Keadzeiro Perry that is working, and supporting the program that uh, Judge Forshion has, and uh, they helped this young lady, Sarah. She went from soccer mom to being a heroin addict, and uh, now she's been clean and for uh, six years, and she's making a big difference in a lot of people. She gave really a very very powerful. Uh, interview and testimony here this morning about how you can get through some really difficult times. And so if there's family members that are out there that have a loved one or a friend that is going through addiction, there is hope. And although it might not seem uh, like there is a whole lot of hope right now at the time, Sarah is a perfect example of how a person can get through it. And she said that really what was, what she valued the most was unconditional love and acceptance, even though she may not have been, you know, the most lovable person by her behavior. You know, she was lying and cheating and stealing from her family and friends, but it was really those that gave her that unconditional love and acceptance. And if you have an addiction and you need someone to call, you can call Sarah Alton, 234 978 9105. 234 978 9105. Thank you for listening to us today. This is David Held signing off. News Talk 1480 WHBC.